Cheers, Val. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast. I know you were had a little bit of nerves about it, and I appreciate you uh, taking the time to come and be here today. Thanks so much for having me. I still have nerves. <laughs> I think you're going to be fine. <laughs> you just um, forget about the mics. Just look at Frida. She's very calm. She's here to bring us all into a, a state of zen. Frida's my comfort animal. Yes, that's Thank right. Thank you, Frida. She's here to, to give us all some, some zen therapy today. Um, so a big part of the reason why I wanted to invite you on the show, this is Feminist Hot Dog, by the way, and my guest is the lovely Valerie, um, also known as Val, also known as a badass biker mama who just uh, a couple months ago now, maybe a month ago, how when Actually, did you get back? I, I believe I've been home for over two months, which wow. is a bit, I've been home now longer than I was gone, which okay. seems strange and unacceptable (laughs) well let's let's tell the listeners where you were which was on an amazing cross-country bike trip which even though I've seen you since you got back we haven't really had a chance to talk about in a lot of depth so I really wanted to get a chance to grill you a little bit about your experience and what you saw and how it's changed you and and what it makes you think about the country and all of it so Great. Well, thanks again for having me. Yeah. Um, I, I, the, the route that I cycled was, is called the Trans America route. And it, um, was first written in 1976. Um, the, it was in honor of the 200th birthday of the American revolution is, okay. is really how the bike route was conceived. Really. The reason I chose this route to bike is just because I knew it would be a, um, uh, interesting historical experience, but also, or let me qualify that me learning a little bit more about the history, um, of our country, but also it, it covered, um, a a wide swath, you know, from coast to coast. So I was really excited about that, about that idea. Um, and actually 20 years ago I was hiking the Appalachian trail on the East coast and, um, which is, for you listeners who aren't familiar, it's a 2100 mile corridor through the Appalachian Mountains. And I was in Virginia taking a break um, in my stinky boots at a gas station, I'm sure. And I met this man who pulled up. He looked refreshed on a bicycle and he was like um, jaunty looking. And I just <laughs> kind of struck up a conversation and, and asked what he was doing. He said, oh, yeah, well, you know, I'm biking across the country. I'm biking, you know, over 4000 miles. And I was like, really? I was like, you know, how, how long is that taking you? And he said, oh, it's just taking me about three months or less. And I was like, fuck you. You know, I'm going half the distance and mm-hmm, twice the time. Right. I want to do that someday. You know, I was in I was in my early 20s. And so it's just it's been on my radar a long time. So I felt very um, excited to have the opportunity to do it 20 years later. Um, very privileged to have the resources at that time in my life to do it. And um, it was yeah, it was a quite an interesting experience. Now you also biked the underground railroad route at yes. one point, right? Yes. So where does that begin and end and what, where did you bike through? Okay. So the, um, so, so the underground railroad route, as well as the Transamerica route, I should say are, are both, um, long distance routes that have been mapped by an organization called adventure cycling. They're an awesome organization. They do cross country trips, um, 
in-state trips all over the country, and they do a beautiful job. Their cartographers do a beautiful job with the maps. They're very detailed. So anyone who has the desire to go by two wheels, you know, they can um, check out their their maps that are available at adventurecycling.org. Um, and so the Underground Railroad route, which I did 10 years ago, um, is uh, about about 2,000, a little over 2,000 miles. And it starts in Mobile, Alabama mm. and ends in Owen Sound, Ontario. And its focus is the um, history of the Underground Railroad. And um, that was a very powerful, powerful trip. And at the time, the, the maps were only a year old in 2008. And so, you know, I don't think I saw a, a single other cyclist doing that route at the wow. time. Um, whereas the Transamerica route that I just completed, uh, as I mentioned, it's been around a, a good while now. And so, you know, I saw cyclists along the way um, uh, during that during that ride. And so as we've talked about, the whole origin story of this podcast is essentially in response to what is happening, the state of our country right now. And I feel like, um, well, I don't know very much about I mean you've talked a little bit about that this was always a dream of yours I don't know if the current state of things was in any way a motivation for you to uh, go ahead and take this um, opportunity to have a big adventure but I'm also curious as someone who literally just rode through the entire country did you observe anything or have any conversations that kind of opened your eyes to where we are right now as mm-hmm. as a people and I, I recognize that that's mm-hmm. maybe an impossible question but i just do you have any stories that kind of gave you some light bulb moments as you were as you were pedaling yeah that's a great great question um well i think overall i i i think overall okay so there's going to be several i think i have several different thoughts on the matter that are a little disjointed but we'll just we're just going to go down and like that's fine disjointed How about is that? good we're all about do you like it. bullet lists um, listeners. So, so I would say that the first takeaway is that, that in general, despite our daily news feed, people are really kind. I mean, they have the capacity to be really kind. And I do understand that, that a lot of that depends on who you are, where you are, mm-hmm. um, what resources you have, what you look like, yeah, um, how people react to you, how people respond to you. And, and, in in this instance, you know, I'm a white woman. I was traveling through, vast majority of the trip went through rural America, mm-hmm. um, white rural America. And so I understand that my experience is likely very different than someone else's might be. Um, but I, you know, I, overall, I just, I always in 10 years ago too, when I got out there, I just feel like my faith in humanity is a bit restored for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there are certainly moments, um, which we'll, I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute, but you know, as far as just the, the, the landscape in general of our country, we, we got a beautiful fucking country. I mean, it is beautiful. And the, the landscape changes are, are just kind of mind blowing, you know, how you can have so many variations, um, from like, you know, I went through Yellowstone for the first time on this trip. I'd never been there. saw the Tetons, you know, went through, um, high desert in Colorado through cornfields in Kansas and, um, the Appalachian foothills in Kentucky. And, you know, you just, um, it's pretty mind blowing, uh, which also brings to mind an interesting thing, 
like state lines kind of, I spent a lot of time cause I'm pedaling, you know, eight to 10 hours a day, mm-hmm. lot, lot too much thinking time. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was either thinking about like sandwiches or, you know, just kind of like everything I'm passing through and like state lines, you think they're like this seemingly arbitrary lines that have been drawn, but, but in a lot of cases they really dictate the personality of a, of an area of a geographic Mm. area. It's so bizarre to me. I don't understand that. I need someone with a lot more uh, historical and like geographical understanding to explain all this to me, because you know what I mean? It's like that, that intersection of like human behavior and geography. Right. Yeah. Whoa. You were talking about mind blowing. Like, I don't understand. I need like this line hasn't been here for that long. So why does it actually mean anything? Yes. And I need, I need people a lot smarter than I am to, to, yeah, break that down for me. Um, but I, you know, I was also a bit surprised, um, I didn't see as many Trump signs as I thought I'd see. Really? And I was pumped about that. (laughs) Small victory. Um, Yeah, I was real thrilled with that. And uh, there were some, don't get me wrong, Mm -hmm. but there were also some big like plyboard signs in someone's yard that said like Trump lies. Right. Huge scrawling letters, which I like totally appreciated. Um, And uh, now on the opposite end, so, so the route goes through 10 states mm-hmm. um, and, and the last state, because I went from west to east. It started in Astoria, Oregon, ended in um, Yorktown, Virginia. And the last state was Virginia that I passed through. There were a lot of Confederate flags in Virginia. Mm. And I'm from Alabama, born and raised. Um, so, you know, I didn't think that I could be kind of surprised by the sheer quantity of uh, Confederate flags on display. And I really was. And I, I, I mean, I understand that Virginia is a big has a lot of history in regards to to um to to all that but yeah it kind of took me aback it was also um it was also a more integrated state in a lot of ways so that's a whole nother podcast (laughs) episode probably but um yeah and I I guess maybe that's the last takeaway I would say from kind of if if you could say that I could take the temperature of, of the country from a quick pass through um, is that we're still very segregated as a nation. Yeah. I mean, even just going through not only the rural areas, but suburban neighborhoods. Um, yeah. We, we've got some work to do in, as far as integration. And do you think that people reacted to you? Well, this is, this is kind of a dumb question because I think I know the answer, but I'm assuming people reacted to you a certain way because you're a woman alone on a bicycle. <laughs> I'm guessing <laughs> that was commented upon because I can't imagine that it wouldn't be. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what kinds of reactions you did get? Sure. Um, sure. Uh, so I, I feel like I should qualify this too, if, if I may, about this trip. Uh, so the Transamerica route, I cycled it alone, but I also had my husband, Ben, and two children mm. um, who are eight and and four at the time she turned five on the road they were traveling via vehicle and so they would do their own thing we were together for for seven of the 10 weeks that i was out and then i was out alone for for three of the weeks completely alone but i'd cycle alone during the day i'd meet them at camp at night so ben was in charge of the kids um uh every day and setting up camp and all that jazz so i just want to clarify that the underground railroad trip 10 years ago i was this was before i had had a family and such. I was by myself for that, for the duration of that trip. So 
but I have similar experiences as far as people's reactions to me as a woman in both trips. And, and that was fear. Mm. Um, I, you know, people kept telling me, um, every day to be scared. It was, it was really strange. I mean, it got to the point where I went from like being really irritated by it and, and, um, frustrated by it to, to almost becoming comical because I would have at least one person sometimes up to three or four people a day say, aren't you scared? You should be scared. You, you need to be fearful. If you're not, do you have a gun? Like that was the, that was a lot of, do you have a gun? Yes. All the time. And I remember that very clearly from 10 years ago too, especially men that was their, that was their go-to. If you don't have a gun, you need to get one. And, you know, and I would kind of probe, I kind of got to the point where I would probe. So, well, I was thinking, first of all, I was like, you know, what, what should I be afraid of? What would you be afraid of if you were like, right? Like I would be afraid of like a snake or a dog probably would be yes. things that I would be the most afraid of. Yes. That makes total sense. And I, so I kind of got to the point where I would ask people, so what, what should I be afraid of? You know, I was talking to these two um, grandpas in, in Missouri and um, it was like in the Ozarks and they were on a golf cart. It was like in this river park I had stopped at. And, you know, they were very nice. They asked where I was going and stuff. And, um, and, and they asked me, well, aren't you scared out there? And I said, no. And they had a little granddaughter running around, you know, and, um, and I asked them, what, what, what do you think I should be scared of? Well, everything. I mean, people, um, drugs, violence, you know, and, um, so I think that's something we have to be conscious of. You know, I, and I was thinking the same as you. Yeah, I'm afraid of like running out of water in Wyoming and I'm afraid like I don't have enough sandwiches. And like, <laughs> I like how sandwiches are a recurring sandwiches. theme for you on I, this trip. I still dream about sandwiches. <laughs> um, <laughs> I need those carbs. Like, yes. Um, you know, I don't know. I'm afraid of like the swarm of gnats that decides to like descend a half mm. an inch from my face when I'm climbing a fucking hill up to the Blue Ridge Parkway. <laughs> but... Um, but so, so over time, I will say that I did start to, to kind of wonder and, and, um, but, but it all was fine. You know, it was the fine. Nat, the gnats, the gnats, gnats, yep. I just dealt with the gnats and got past them. And, um, the dogs were, you're spot on about the dogs. Now they were scary as shit. Yeah. yeah. But I've got some tips for anyone who's listening and rides a bike and gets chased by a dog. So one thing I discovered after about a month out was that oddly enough, if you like call like a crow, then they respond and stop chasing you, which is totally bizarre. I didn't expect it. Um, It's like, can I do it? Should I do it? Yeah, do it. I'm going to move away from the mic. It's like, and I was like, I did not expect like a dog to give a shit about that sound. And I don't even know why it came out of my throat. Like I was just like panicking when I had like this, these three dogs, a couple of them pit bulls, a couple of them, you know, I don't want to give pit bulls a bad name, but, um, there's no leash law in Kentucky. So they're mm. really, they're, they're, they, that's their territory. Right. So they're like, um, so either call like a crow or squirt it with water and you should be good. Helpful biking tips and feminism <laughs> yes. today on Feminist yes. Hot Dogs. Yes, there you go. There you go. Some people now, it seems like all other cyclists carry pepper spray now, but I'd just be afraid I'm going to spray myself. Yeah. Like, like the little nozzle would be turned the wrong way. Yeah, and then... yeah. Like I keep it as a backup, but I've never had to use it because I'm just like, mm, yeah. Uh, so do you have any other plans to do rides like this in the future? 
I do, but I don't know. Um, I, I don't have a specific route in mind. Um, uh, I do have a dream route. Oh, tell me. Um, that I'm interested in if anyone wants to, you know, map it out. <laughs> um, and feminist hot dog listeners. Uh, it, it would be like a map of uh, like women's history in the country per se or... Um, yeah, I, I saw very few, even with all of, I mentioned earlier about the history of the country and you see very few monuments to women or placards to women mm. and their, their, um, their, their contributions, right? Um, and so I think it'd be fascinating to have a route that's dedicated to, to studying that and, and um, celebrating women. Where, where are the markers and what do they celebrate and mm. how does that sort of lay out across the country? That would be a very interesting project. Yeah. Um, and it's my understanding that the, but that the first monument to a woman in the country, which I don't think there are many from my understanding from what I've read, there's like over 5,000 monuments and like under 400 are, are dedicated to women. And I imagine that, that the makeup of the women that are honored, uh, is, <laughs> Is is very Dis, like, disproportionately yes, uh, yes, white. white, yes, mm -hmm. um, or generalized, you know, to just a certain type of women in general, or you know, like um, the women who did this, or the women who lived yes, here, or yes, whatever. here's a teacher, right, monument, which right. that's important. Don't get me wrong, let's put them everywhere. But um, so the first one that was uh, erected in the country was around 1884 in New Orleans, and it was dedicated to a woman named. Margaret, and I think her last name is Hoggy. Mm. And Margaret devoted her life to to caring for and feeding the poor. That would be an interesting pit stop. But also, I'm really excited about, um, I understand that this uh, monument to Ida B. Wells has just been fully yes. funded right? um, in Chicago. So that is a great step in the right direction. And that would be a really cool, cool stop on mm -hmm. our... Not yet conceived or built out women's cycling route. But stay tuned, feminist hot dog listeners. Yes. We're going to start drawing maps as soon as this is over. I like it. I like it. Well, thank you so much for sharing your journey. I've been very curious to hear some of your reflections. So I do want to mention one other thing if I can. Oh, please. Um, I think something when we were talking about the kind of the climate of the country and stuff, I, I did notice a difference in this trip and, and the journey 10 years ago. I, I saw a lot of evidence of in certain areas of the opioid crisis. It was, oh. very, it was very clear that communities are suffering and that we've got a that we've got a we've got a big problem on our hands mm -hmm. that needs, you know, it needs all hands on deck. And um, and so I just I just feel like. Uh, that that moved me in certain ways that I, I'm not sure what to do with that information, but it's, it's I remember it's you present. sending um, a couple of snapshots of various billboards and things yes. like that, that really indicated that like the billboards seemed like they were erected by people in many different sort of walks of life and different intersections of the social fabric. were all kind of crying out for help and saying this, you know, the people that we love are dying and this is terrible and we need to do something, but without a whole lot of, not a lot of substance in terms of what to do. And I, so I feel like that's yes. maybe kind of a common thread yeah. for people of all walks of life and socioeconomic groups right now. Yes. That, that's wise. That's why. Yeah, that's true. Um, well, <laughs> we're going to, transition away from talking about opioids to talking about what made our feminist heart sing this week all right 
um, if you're ready. To do, do we that. get to sing? Um, you can sing if you want to. <laughs> you can sing. call like a crow. <laughs> to sing. You can make whatever noise, joyful noise, is coming out of your heart right now. I do want to note that Frida the Comfort Animal did not even like, she's asleep on the floor. She didn't even like <laughs> wiggle her nose when I called like a crow. So I don't think it might not be effective on some, some well, canines. Well, Frida is also profoundly deaf. So, oh, yeah, good. Okay. she can't. She's okay. she if she were chasing you on the bike, the crow trick would not work. She, you might have to go for the water yeah, with the water. <laughs> um, well, I'm going to talk about what made my feminist heart sing this week, which um, is a little bit serious because it's about abortion access. But it is about women coming to the defense and service of other women who are being denied abortion access. And I found these they are two separate stories set in two separate decades entirely. Um, but I found them both really, really inspiring. So, um, I know a lot of women in our country are thinking about abortion access right now and is particularly in the, with the changing makeup and, and likely continually changing makeup of our, of the Supreme court. Um, and so wanted to tell the story of this organization out of the Netherlands called women on web that has been shipping abortion pills to women all over the world who live in areas where it is either difficult or illegal to obtain an abortion. And so these are the, the combination of pills. I'm not going to try to pronounce the name of the drugs because they're multi-syllable and I don't actually know how to say them, but um, essentially if you take them in the first nine weeks of pregnancy, they're 97% effective, very, very safe. And so the founder of this organization, her name is Rebecca Gompertz, and she is a doctor. She's never shipped these medications to the United States, however, because the anti-abortion movement in the U.S. is so ruthless and powerful and well-resourced that she's worried they will try to shut down the organization. Wow. Um, so in an attempt to kind of mitigate that risk, she's opened a new service called aid access. And if you go to either of these websites, they're very bare bones. And they basically say like, I need an abortion pill, click here, and then you get a consultation with a doctor. So in an interview with the Atlantic magazine, um, Gompert says that she's still fearful of how this will go in terms of making it available in the United States, but she was being inundated with requests from women where um it, who live in places in the US where abortion is technically legal but it is so difficult to access that it you know it it really isn't available to them mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so she said at one point i got an email from a woman who was living in a car with two kids mm-hmm. something had to be done so women in the US can now um access this service through um what did i say it was called aid access so as an aside, we live in a state where there's a constitutional amendment on the ballot right now to, quote, recognize and support the sanctity of unborn life and the rights of unborn children, including the right to life. And it also states that no provision of the Constitution provides a right to an abortion or requires funding of an abortion. It's already very difficult to get an abortion in this state. So this amendment is really scary. And given, um, as I said, the changing makeup of the Supreme Court, there's a very real threat to abortion access in our country um, access that's already so limited if you're low income or if you have a job that doesn't allow you time off or you have kids or the nearest clinic is 
you know, hundreds of miles away and you don't have childcare, so you can't, you know, leave your kids overnight, it can be almost impossible. So we're, Mm -hmm. we're really making it the hardest for the people who need access the most. So reading about all of this and thinking about how, um, this woman in the, the Netherlands is taking these amazing steps to make this, um, uh, abortion pill available to women who really need it in places where they can't get it. It has made me think about what life was like before Roe versus Wade passed in mm. 1973. And I came across um, a series of videos called Retro Report that was put out by the New York Times that looks at, um, they look at various um, stories from decades past that might have kind of gotten lost in our national consciousness, but things that are really cool that happened in the past that are relevant to us today. And this particular series of videos looked at a covert group of women in Chicago in the late 1960s and early 70s who are formally known as the Abortion Counseling Service of Women's Liberation, but are most famously referred to as Jane. Mm-hmm. And the reason they were referred to as Jane is that they printed ads in student and alternative newspapers that simply said, pregnant, don't want to be, call Jane. So what was so brilliant about this is you see this ad, you call, you leave a message, and someone would call you back and identify herself as Jane. And no one was the wiser as to who Jane was or why she was calling you. And then... But of course, there were dozens of Janes um, and one of them would arrange to pick you up and take you to a location where you would receive counseling. And if you needed food or anything else, they would hook you up there and then take you to a second location and where you would have the procedure. And then that was it. It was in a safe, clean setting um, by a trained abortionist. And I just thought this was so badass. Like, you know, they... Mm -hmm. At one point, they in the um, videos, they tell this story about how seven or eight Janes got arrested when the police raided this Chicago apartment. And they were sitting in the back of the, um, like the van where they had all been loaded up after being arrested. And they tore up the index cards on which they had written the women's names who were wow. their patients. And they chewed them up and swallowed them. You're kidding. To protect their identities. Yeah. Wow. So now, did they each tell the cops that they their name was Jane <laughs> when he inquired? I, I think that um, unfortunately didn't didn't work with cops. So oh. they were they were arrested and charged. However, when Roe versus Wade passed, they were the charges were dropped against them. And then the Janes were no longer necessary. And then they they disbanded. So. Um, Janes, get ready. We might need you. Uh, exactly. <laughs> the, it, that's exactly where I went with this when I was reading about it. You know, what's happening now really isn't that different from what happened in the time of the Janes. And I feel like um, what's happening with this um, <clears throat> woman in the, the Netherlands, this aid, God, why can't I remember the name of it? Um, aid access. It's essentially the same thing. It's a woman identifying a need, using the technology and the resources available to them to make it happen, and being willing to take the risk out of a deep belief that women should be able to have as many children as they want, when they want, if they want, yes. and that that's you know a fundamental right that women should have that for whatever reason as a country we, we seem unable to accept. So... Um, both of those stories really made me feel, even though they're based on circumstances that are 
harsh and hard and reflect um, a direction that I think is very damaging. Mm -hmm. Um, Just like the power and the ingenuity and the sisterhood that inherent in those stories really made me happy. So that made my feminist heart sing this week. And those billboards that you mentioned, I wonder here, um, I wonder in Alabama, that billboard that's near our clinic that says pregnant, don't want to be call. I wonder if it goes to the same people. What do you think? I I think that that is uh, not, not the same motivation. I think that they gave you an ultrasound and then um, say, look, your baby's heart is beating. Your baby wants to love you. Your baby wants to be born. Um, and then they feed you a bus- bunch of misinformation and tell you they'll take care of you. And then like you yes. have a baby and they're like, oh, you want welfare? What are you? Some kind of moocher on society? Yes. Yes. I think that's how that goes. Uh, did I tell you I did a very bad, bad thing? Not Val, what a, did not you a, do? Not a good feminist thing, which I knew right when I did it. But you, you know how we have the lone man protester at our oh, clinic. Yeah. Um, I was riding my bike uh, past and I was just. It was just actually a couple of days after I was back mm-hmm. back home, and I, he was just standing there, and I was just so angry. He's he's got a bullhorn, and he's actually on. It looks like he's on the lawn of the clinic, and he's pointing his bullhorn towards the clinic and just yelling at the people inside. And they, they weren't even talking to people coming from their cars to go inside. He's like yelling at the building. So I stopped on my bike, which I know I shouldn't have done, and I was just like, I hope you're, you know. I hope you're advocating for better education and for resources for families and stuff. And that, you know, and I was just like, no, no, it's bad. It's bad. I, just, I couldn't <laughs> help it, it. It felt good. Though, I couldn't didn't help it? it. And then he starts yelling. I'm like, okay, don't do it again. That is not going anywhere. It felt good for a second, but mm-hmm. really it was a misguided message too. I, I just, I, yeah. yeah. Sometimes we need those little release valves though. Sometimes maybe you should, I should have just, called at him like a crow and not said oh my anything God, yes and then maybe he would have gone away he probably would have stopped screaming for yeah. at least a moment <laughs> was yeah well, i encourage you to try that's really um yeah that's empowering that's very empowering well thank you what made your feminist heart sing this week val well um let's see the thing that made my feminist heart sing is a very personal thing and it has to do with my five-year-old daughter and she is currently taking a karate class, like a youth karate class. Cool. And um, she's very excited about it. She's real excited about the, you know, the, the garb. She's got the, the, the white belt, you know, that you start with. Mm-hmm. And like, um, she's like learned how to do one arm pushups, which really wow. she's kind of just like on her knees, like, going, but I, I'll take it. She yeah. looks great. She feels great. She feels strong, you know. And so um, she comes home from karate and she's like, mom, um, I learned how to peel the banana. And I was like, oh, that's cute. You know, what? what is what is peel the banana? She goes, you know, it's when you take someone's hand and you take each finger one at a time and you bend them backwards till they crack. Till you hear the, till you, oh, hear, till you, till you hear the cracking sound. And I was like, what? And I was like, so apparently there's like a self-defense class as part of the weekly karate course. And I was like, wow. I was like, well, that is really impressive and in you know in these days of judge kavanaugh's right. and, and nine hour hearings about such matters i was like that could really come in handy yeah so, you peel that banana girl yeah, if you need to girl, do not hesitate and you might have to teach your mama you never know yeah um but yeah so that just made my feminist heart sing because i thought you know she can own that and mm-hmm. like uh, there's that fine balance of like teaching girls and women to be fearful and that fine balance of uh I mean, versus, you know, empowering them to have the tools to be like, no, I mean, what, this is my, 
my person and my space and and I don't have to stand for this and that, but on our terms, not someone else telling us when to be afraid. So, um, yeah, I, that was very endearing. I bet that you'd be safer peeling the banana if somebody <laughs> fucked with you on your bike than carrying a gun because <laughs> so you'd have to like find the gun, get it out, mm-hmm. feel confident that you could use it in that situation. Yes. When really you just like grab a guy's finger and snap it back. I'm, and there you go. Yes. I'm going to peel a I'm banana. I'm going to peel that fucking banana and then I'm going to <laughs> call like a crow and spray you with my water yes. bottle and right away. I also had this fantasy when I was out there, like when people kept telling me to be scared that, um, like I would just act like I was just like losing it. Like <laughs> someone, do you ever have that like fantasy? Were, Women like do all have that fantasy. Having some sort of like episode. Yes, yes. That you just like start screaming all kinds of random things and like you know jumping up and down and doing whatever you know. I think I, it's legit. I think, I think that that actually yeah. could disarm someone long at least enough. long enough where you could get the fuck away from them. Yes, yes. Don't we are going to now give some advice, some listener advice. And this is a very sweet, um, you've listened to the first episode, but you haven't had a chance to listen to the second episode, right? That's right. Which I okay. cannot wait to listen. Yeah. Well, the se- <laughs> both the first and the second episodes, the listener questions were extremely lengthy. This one is very short, but very poignant. <clears throat> so dear feminist hot dog. How do you balance loving your partner and and sincerely wanting to stay with them with the feeling of wanting to have a new adventure with a new job in a new city? The thought of leaving my partner makes me feel full of dread and sadness and as it is the healthiest relationship I've ever been in by far, I don't want it to end at all. At the same time, I often feel myself craving a new chapter and new challenges professionally and socially, but my partner is stuck here for work for at least two more years. With what mindset should I approach this situation? Oh, shit. I know. We're going to call this signed yearning for adventure. Mm. This is a tough one. Wow. Yeah. Does the partner make good sandwiches? (laughs) (laughs) That's question number one. That's I think so. Okay. I think I think we can probably assume that there are good sandwiches and everything seems harmonious. Hmm. Um, and I'm going to uh, make the assumption that these are both folks maybe in there. If the partner is stuck there for work, like she's probably in like deep enough into her career to like have a real profession. Mm-hmm. Um but then the letter writer is craving new chapters and new adventures. So I'm going to assume these folks are in their late twenties, early thirties. I'm going to base my answer on that assumption. Well, I, I always say go for the adventure. I mean, right. Because if the relationship is built to last, it's going to last. Yeah. And if you have them, I don't know, um, yearning for adventure, if you have the means to, to travel, but you know, there's like, travel accessible travel these days there's you know facetiming i know it's not the same as being together in a partnership like present with each other physically but you know i feel like people can really pull off some like authentic relationships from a distance. distance also two years is not actually that long in the great scheme of like a a healthy long-term relationship it would it might suck 
but you could do it. The caught like the cautionary thing that comes up for me is it sounds like <clears throat> the letter writer is very interested in having adventures and doing new things and meeting new people. So that is a little bit of a red flag for me in terms of like the likelihood that you, if you're having these urges, are you going to be able to not act on those urges when it comes to meeting new people and new potential mm. romantic partners in, because as healthy as your relationship is, that's based on this like day to day proximity and so I'm not sure that from a distance that I, I don't know. I think that there's, I think that there's some soul searching that would need to happen. Like from a distance, is that going to be enough to keep you from wanting to pursue new adventures with other people? Have new adventures, if you know what we mean. Right. New. That's a very nurturing response. <laughs> well, it really is. I never would have thought of that. I, um, I just, well, Yeah. And, but if it's not meant to be, I guess is that too cliche. Like if it's not meant to be, it's not going to be. And I've seen, I've seen the situation know. work out both ways. I've seen it work out where like one person went off and did something else and they stayed together and kept in touch and visited and then reunited. And yes. it was great. And I've seen it happen where people separate with the intensive, like they stay together, but then the adventurer or the person who stays behind one or the other. So, somebody meets somebody and then yes. they don't end up staying together. So I think, I mean, there's no predicting that, but I do think you should have a, a hard talk with yourself about like, what is the likelihood? Cause you know yourself better than anyone yearning for adventure. Uh, what's the likelihood that you're going to be able to like go off and have an adventure and be satisfied without pursuing any kind of romantic sparks that might come up. I think that's worth exploring. Yeah. But I'm kind of with you on don't don't hold don't, yourself back. Don't stick around if you're going to just resent your partner. Yeah, because that's real. That's real. Ugly. Yeah. Nobody likes that resentment sitting in between you at movie night or something. No. It's not <laughs> no. fun. There's not like the resentment eats all the damn popcorn, just like takes all the beer. And then the little things yeah. that you could overlook in your relationship if the resentment wasn't there become disproportionately like, Yeah. Yeah, that's no good. Was the, was the adventure mainly in the career or just in life? The yearning for um, I'm what it says here. I'm I find myself craving, often craving, a new chapter and new challenges professionally and socially. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. You got to go. I think so. Yeah. Um, and then you know the rest. You don't have to make a decision about it right now. The rest comes later. But I would be. I would be very honest all, you know, all the way through, even if the honesty is painful, but don't try to have it like every way, you know, like make some decisions about kind of what you're willing to do and not do. Yeah. That's mature too. Right. Because I mean, obviously yearning for new adventure cares very deeply about, about her partner. And yeah. Like, yeah. Um, and that's scary too, when you're at that place where you're like, Oh, do I step away or just, hold on tightly and you know and I do just want to say that just because it's the healthiest relationship you've ever been in doesn't necessarily mean you couldn't have other healthy relationships yeah, like now true. you know what that feels like and you have a you have a nice solid bar to work with yeah, in terms yeah. of like evaluating other situations so yes that's smart all right
right? Well, wow. I think I think that's. Do you feel Do you feel good yearning? <laughs> we'll We'll follow up. We'll follow up with yearning and see if she likes that answer. Um, okay, let's talk about the Hot Dog Hall of Fame. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, <clears throat> so. <clears throat> Um, my hot dog hall of fame is actually already like somewhat famous. So she might be someone that um, folks already know. Um, she kind of had a peak of fame in, I would say about 10 years ago or so, but I've known about her for over 20 years because she went to my high school and her name is Leslie Hall and Leslie Hall was the front woman for a band called Leslie and the lies, which, um, well, let me back us up a second. Leslie Hall is what I would call, um, a satirical performance artist on many, many different levels here. So she's a singer and a musician. Um, she is also, she kind of became internet famous because she started collecting gem sweaters in the year 2000. Are you familiar with, with gem sweaters? <laughs> I am not, but I okay, am well, intrigued. Let me, let me show you a little about. Wow. So we're looking, we're oh. looking at Leslie Hall's gem sweater um, collection online. When you say gem, you mean, I mean, literal G E M G E M. Yes. Wow. So sequins and, and plastic beads and all kinds of, that's glorious everything so um she started collecting these sweaters from you know various goodwills and etc cetera, etc cetera, and posting so that just to describe that what i'm looking at right now um is leslie she she wears her hair in a big giant blonde bouffant with electric blue eyeshadow and these giant oversized glasses and gold stretch pants <laughs> and every sweater is different but she's posed in the identical posture with her hands like crossed over her knees and every sweater has a different name so for example um she has, <laughs> she has a brown sweater with some gold and some sort of pleather looking um, applique and it's called brown bear looking glass she also has creme la tarte rocky riddles ice hornet butterfly tears Goblet from Bethlehem. Wow. Asteroids Avalanche. Like it goes on. And wow. On. So these are brilliant. Um, and she has like, there's pages and pages and pages of these things on her website. So eventually she got a grant from a local, um, I don't know if it was a museum or an art school or something. it was something like that. And created the mobile museum of gem sweaters so she would she brought the sweaters <laughs> to the people and people would bring their sweaters to her and she would christen them because she is like the mother of the gem sweater wow um she then i might be mixing up the timeline a little bit here this this might there might have been some overlap she then became essentially a rap artist and started touring the country with her band leslie and the lies and she would wear her um, characteristic bouffant and her eyeshadow and her glasses and she has magnificent stage presence I have actually seen her live and um, sometimes she would wear the sweaters but I think she kind of transitioned into more like an entire gold bodysuit mm -hmm. and began performing all over the country to her thousands and thousands of fans most of whom found out about her from her very famous YouTube videos, which got like millions and millions and millions of views. Um, the most famous are, let's see, what are they called? Um, 
this is how we go and tight pants body rolls which i will link both of these yes <laughs> on yes. the website um so when i add her to the hall of fame i'll make sure that those are linked so anyway she um was named one of the mo- <clears throat> i have to find it here she was named um, one of the most influential like internet stars of 2006 um, because of how famous internet famous she got and she has many as I mentioned many many adoring fans she appeared on the TV show Yo Gabba Gabba uh, and toured with the live production for a while can we talk about Yo Gabba Gabba for a minute <laughs> I happen to be a huge fan oh it's so good of Yo Gabba Gabba it's so good DJ Lance Rock is yes. one of my absolute faves yes. so she fit right in yes because that whole world is so tongue-in-cheek yes but yet so playful and hilarious and creative that's her um uh leslie is now mostly retired from her life of gem sweater uh glamour and no longer tours with leslie and the lies but she is still working um on video production and performing as one half of the pop duo neon and nude and so um even though she hasn't been as active lately she's still um she's still out there she's still got it she meant a lot to me throughout the many years that i followed her career and um it's just really nice to see a hometown gal like not take herself too seriously but go really really big with her weird weird vision i just can't i can't express to you like how much joy she brings to the people in her audience and when you see like a whole room full of people dressed up like leslie hall it's it's an amazing (laughs) amazing kind of moment like this is like the beauty standard in that in that environment and it's it's just very very is not only funny but powerful and um, really uplifting and, and I love it and nothing but respect for someone who can actually elevate like pleather gold lame and gems which are already hard to top like mm-hmm. they're just like there's something special about those three items and then she's taken it to this whole other level puts it all together naming puts it all together well how about you who are we who are we bringing into the hall of fame so I would like to um, to submit Aisha McGowan into the feminist hot dog hall of fame and right. um she is someone who i just learned about recently and i just think she kicks total ass she's a um a road cyclist a racer and um and she uh i think she's, currently she's in decatur georgia around atlanta and um her mission is to become the first ever african-american pro female racer wow um and her her website is quickbrownfox.com if you want to check her out um and she um She's, she just started racing, from what I understand, uh, uh, several years ago. And um, and she's already, like, jumped from, like, Category 4 to Category 2 because she's just, she's, she's just that, that kick-ass. Ass. Yep. And, um, and, and also, from what I read, is that she, she not only loved racing when she discovered it, but she also um, realized that there was no representation mm. um, of black women in pro racing. And she was, she was like, looking towards... Um, uh, kind of an example and other women to follow and didn't, didn't find anything in that. And so, you know, I think that's something that I noticed on both trips was, um, was how much work we have to do even for tour cycling, which is a totally different ball game than like racing. I mean, right. racing is the sh- shit, you know, it's the stuff, but the um, elite athletes. Yes. Yes. It's a different ball game. Um, but even in touring, I noticed that, that I, I don't think I saw a single other, um, female solo cyclists um 
uh, black, female, brown, brown women. I, I just didn't see it. And that's not to say they're not out there. I know they're out there, but, but I just didn't see it in the 4,000 miles. And yeah. so, you know, we, we've got some work to do as far as inclusion and, and representation in, in, in all areas of cycling in the sport, but she's doing it. I mean, she's just like, um, you know, she said herself, she said that her biggest mission is representation aside from her own like desire and, and, um, and, talent at the sport so and hard work too right so um yeah aisha mcgowan check have her you out thought about have you thought about looking her up and having coffee with her i have i, I have i haven't done that yo maybe maybe this um feminist hot dog will give me the courage you should to just send her the link step out yeah yeah, yeah that's well, a great idea welcome aisha to the hot dog hall of fame oh, that's a great idea <clears throat> and, the, and the cool part for you know is that she apparently she was at the berkeley school she's a music teacher oh wow she, i think she's around 30 and she um apparently from what what i read in one article about her was that she um she was at the berkeley school of music in boston and she just she grabbed a bike to commute on out of her parents' basement. I think it, it even said that it had like a baby seat on it. She just grabbed it to start pedaling and she loved the feeling of it and of the pedaling and the, you know, the speed and stuff. And so she really got into it and got into it quickly. So I salute her and, and, uh, yeah. Multi-talented. So a musician yes. and a cyclist. Yes. What yes. A great story. Well, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think that brings us to the end. Thanks for hanging out with Feminist Hot Dog when she has a cold. So I hope I wasn't hacking too much, but this is awesome. I really appreciate you sharing the story of your ride and your daughter and your um, your mentor now, this uh, cyclist out of, where did you say she Decatur. I think, I believe Decatur, Georgia, you know, yeah, right outside of Atlanta. Oh, good stuff. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. And uh, yeah. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. Love yourself. Love your buns. Bye. Bye.